in just a moment. Before that, let me welcome every single one of you this morning to Big Woods Bible Church. We are blessed by God's goodness and grace to be able to sing like that. If you are a believer in the full and finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you know that song we just sang that you were singing loud and we love? That is nothing in comparison to the fact that for thousands upon thousands of years, we will be singing. It says literally what? With people from every tribe and tongue and nation will have perfect voices and will be falling down on our faces before the Lord. Singing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Th this, this is amazing today. And it doesn't scratch the surface. Doesn't, it doesn't even come close to what we will be enjoying for all of eternity. And if you are here this morning and you are not a believer, then my prayer is that before you walk out those doors, you know for certain you'll be part of that amazing choir. That's my prayer for all of us this morning. I love this text. I love the Old Testament narrative where we see um, just humanity on full display. And we have all of those details in our text this morning. First and foremost, we need to bow our heads and I need to ask for the Lord's help. And we together need to ask for the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to our hearts this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we recognize who you are, that you are Lord over everything and everyone. You are king, you're sovereign, and you, Lord, in your grace have granted us one more day, just one more day today. We have no idea what tomorrow holds, but at this moment, you have allowed us to gather, having been gifted an amazing, a beautiful day to worship you, to lift up our voices in praise and to learn of you. At this moment, we invite the Holy Spirit to descend and speak and to rattle the cages, the dark crevices of our hearts. And may you, Lord, go to work and change us to be more conformed to the image of Jesus than ever before. Father, we need your help. And I plead this morning for clarity of thought and mind and speech. May everything that is said and done be for your glory and for your glory alone. We ask this in the strong and powerful name of Jesus, our Savior, the Messiah. Amen and amen. Okay, we have been involved in this study now. We're going into, what, four or five weeks? I call it from struggle to strength. And we've been focusing on the character of this one man. His, his name is David. Picked from many brothers to be the next king of Israel, anointed by the prophet Samuel. It's a good thing. We've learned that it's a great thing that God has done for David. But it has not been an easy journey for him. Just like many this morning, it's not been an easy journey in your life. 
We have learned that David has what? Faced a threatening giant. His name was Goliath who had to be defeated. He's got a, a, a jealous boss. His name is King Saul who had to be evaded on more than one occasion. Just last week we saw David in this dark and dripping cave. A dolom. A place literally of despair. And yet it became a place of what? Dying to self. Thankfully, we have been gifted with an opportunity to get a really close look inside of David's heart. What was he thinking in the darkness of that cave? He wrote for us, what, three Psalms, Psalm 34, Psalm 57, Psalm 142. And we saw last week that David goes from these words where he writes what? I cry out to the Lord. I plead for mercy. No one cares for my soul. That's how he's feeling. And yet something transpired in the darkness of that cave. And later on we know that he writes words like this. Still within the cave, my heart is steadfast and I will sing and I will give thanks to you, O Lord. I will sing praises to you, O Lord. You know, we need to be mindful of the fact that, that, that we have to trust in God's sovereignty like David does. Notice that he really didn't change his circumstances at all. He simply changed his perspective, his view on the circumstances. Now, this morning we're going to see David in the middle of another crisis, another struggle. It's what I call a struggle with grace. Grace is defined simply as unmerited favor. Whereas Jamin Roller calls it God's undeserved favor Toward sinners. You're sitting here this morning like, wait, wait a minute, excuse me. We don't like, we don't really struggle with grace. We love God's grace. We receive it. We enjoy it. We celebrate it. And that's true. But there's still a struggle in the fact that all of us love to receive grace. But few of us love to extend grace. That's the struggle that we're going to look at. Thankfully, we will see, like David, just as we have received grace, Lord willing, we will learn to offer it and to extend it as we get an opportunity to kind of look into the life lessons and learn from David's life. We can apply it to our life this morning. Let me direct your attention to the first um, seven verses of 1 Samuel chapter 24. The words will be in front of you. I'm reading from the ESV. Here, here's, here's the beginning of the story. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here 
is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give you your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him. Because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord. The Lord's anointed to put out my hand against him, seeing that he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Last week, if you recall... We left David in this, in this cave of Adullam. But now he is with his mighty soldiers, somewhere between 400 to 600 men. First Samuel chapter 22 talks about 400 men in the cave. By the time we get to chapter 23, there's 600 men. So David and his men have moved eastward from the cave of Adullam to a place called Engedi. Engedi is just west of the Dead Sea, and it has rugged terrain with many crevices and caves. There's lots of wildlife to hunt, so there's plenty of food. There's lots of fresh water, and it is a great place, a great place to hide out. At the same time, we know that King Saul has come from battle against the Philistines, and King Saul gets word that David actually wants to kill him. So what does Saul do? He posses up with 3,000. If David's got, what, four to 600, Saul's going to take 3,000 of the biggest and the baddest soldiers that he can find. And he hikes into the area that he hears that David is hiding. He's going to get rid of David once and for all. He, he, he is going to hunt for, and he's going to root out this, this menace, David, that has just been a thorn in his side. And as he is on his hunt, a problem arises. The problem is this. He's got to go to the bathroom really, really, really bad. Yes, I know that he is a king, but he is still human. And so we can all identify with travels and having to stop because somebody's got to go to the bathroom. That's the case right here. What does he do? Stops at the nearest gas station. They give him one of those really, really big keys, right? No, no, not actually. Instead, what he does is he goes into one of the caves, but he doesn't realize something. As we read what David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. Now this whole scenario, just, just for a moment, could not have been more perfect. No one could have written this script any better. David knows what? David knows that God has anointed him to be king. We've seen that in chapter 16. David knows that. David knows that Saul is standing literally in his way. Chapter 18 speaks about that. 
Everyone knows what that Saul's heart has been angry. Saul has been cold and jealous and godless. We see that in both chapters 18 and 19. And so here is the perfect opportunity. David's men all see it develop. David's men all know it. They're literally singing, this is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. They're thinking, what? We don't have to live on the run any longer. We don't have to be fugitives. We can actually go home. And you know, especially men that are here, when you have what? Your boys whispering in your ear, go ahead, do it. You know what it's like? The posse, what? David's men whispering. Do it. Be quick. Be quiet. Do it. In the darkness of the cave, we know that David sneaks. He creeps forward. But as he gets close... The sword does not come crashing down on Saul's neck. The sword, what, does not get thrust into Saul's back. Instead, what he does, it says he very carefully and quietly cuts off a little piece, a corner of the royal robe, and, and he scurries and kind of slinks away back to... His men. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the response of those guys? What are you, what are you doing, man? You had him like dead to rights. Everything is perfect. The only thing you had to do was call 911. That's it. This morning, what we have before us is David doing something. He realizes something that many, many other people, even sitting here this morning, that we neglect to remember. Two lessons I want to give to you. The first one is this. Just as David received grace, so have you. Remember that. Just as David has received grace, so have you. Now it happens, it happens immediately. As soon as David slips away, something big begins to happen. Here it is, I'll read it again, see if you pick it up. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him. David's heart struck him. I love the um I love the wording of the old King James version. It said that David's heart smote him. The NIV translates it like this, David was conscience stricken. Just stop real quick. Have you ever had your heart smite you before? Have you ever had your heart Smite you? Have you ever been smoten by your heart? I don't think that's a word. I just made it up. 
What, what it is, is what? Something happens as soon as Adam and Eve took a bite of the fruit. It says what? Their eyes were open and they went and they hid themselves and they sewed fig leaves together because they realized at that moment they were naked. It was the very moment that the Turkish delight touched what? Edmund's tongue that he knew something, something is not right. What, what is it? There's a word for it. It's called this. It's called conviction. It's called conviction. The definition of the word conviction, remember this. You and I need to remember this. It means to feel the loathsomeness of sin. Let me tell you this. Conviction is a good thing. Remember that. Praise God. Why? Because the presence of God in your life makes you amazingly aware, acutely aware of the sin in your life. Think about that. The presence of God in your life makes you aware of the sin in your life. Now, if you remember going all the way back to our first chapter in this study, 1 Samuel chapter 16, it says this in verse 13. When David was chosen, it says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. See, what happened is when the Spirit of God came upon David, I, I like to think that in many ways that the, that the Spirit of God can indwell a believer today. Something begins to happen deep with inside, and this is not feeling this is not based on emotion this is based on what we know to be truth in the written word of god isaiah felt it what in in a in a dream in a vision and he said i just feel dirty i just feel unclean the apostle paul said i just feel like the worst the chief of all sinners peter confronted what with the conviction, it says that he wept. He just began to cry uncontrollably, bitterly. Think about your life. The second that you take a second look. The second that you click. To see something that you should not see. The, the very moment, as soon as you begin to feel pride to swell up within you, as soon as you begin to feel what? Anger boil inside of you. As soon as you allow, you allow worry to settle and fear to settle. What we need to do, we can, we, we really should and we need to learn this morning we need to learn like david as soon as you choose to step outside of god's perfect plan for holiness in your life immediately you begin to feel a weight pressing down upon you you begin to feel the heaviness of your action john trapp who is a 17th century english Anglican commentator who is known for his kind of pithy, quotable statements. Charles Spurgeon loved to quote John Trapp. And he says this, and I quote, 
Bee masters tell us that those are the best hives that make the greatest noise. So is the best conscience that checketh for the smallest sins. Now, in 1661, when he wrote that, that kind of made sense because you understood bee masters in 1661. You don't, obviously. But the idea is what? Those, those hives that are humming ought to be at some level, like our conscience, the best conscience checks for the smallest of sins. You see, as David was literally slipping away, he was overwhelmingly reminded that he had been extended grace. He had been literally what? Chosen. He had been chosen. He had been anointed. He had been promised, literally promised a position. He didn't earn it. He didn't win it. He couldn't buy it. He certainly didn't deserve it. And yet God chose him God chose him David knew that he would be king and he also knew that at this moment Saul was in his way but he also knew that what it was a sin to take care of the problem himself it was a sin to kill him it would have been a sin to murder him and now even coming close he didn't, but even threatening that. David was so convicted for his actions that he literally says what the Lord forbid. That I do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed. It's interesting here that the word Lord, capital L-O-R-D, is used three times in this one statement. It's the Hebrew word what? Yahweh. I am, the meaning of the word appears in Exodus 3, 14. It means to be <clears throat> the unchanging, eternal, self-existent God. The I am that I am, a covenant-keeping God. Now, we have to be careful here, but let me, let me kind of read to you, in a sense, almost what David is saying with this statement. This is kind of what comes out of David's mouth. The unchanging, eternal, self-existent I am, who I am, who keeps his covenant with his people, forbids that I do this thing. Against those anointed by the unchanging, eternal, self-existent I am, who I am, who keeps his covenant with his people. You see, David recognizes at this moment what the power that exists in God's absolute Perfect, sovereign plan. He is not, he is not to touch the Lord's anointed. Stop just again for a moment. We hear this phrase, touch not the Lord's anointed. You realize that phrase is almost kind of hip and cool today. It's, it's in vogue. Where you will hear pastors you will hear leaders of congregations say things like, touch not the Lord's anointed. In a sense, what? Almost allowing the pastor, the leader, the elder to, to run rampants. Touch not. That is so not true. Because if you realize what? David recognized that Saul was the Lord's anointed, which means he didn't kill him. 
It does not mean that he did not humbly confront his sin. He humbly confronts his sin, as we'll read in just a moment. So touch not the Lord's anointed means don't shoot the guy. But I tell you what, every pastor, every leader, every elder, elder should be reminded, what? That if there is sin, you humbly confront them. Back to the narrative here, narrative here. David thankfully and very quickly realized that an attack against the Lord's anointed is literally a, an attack against the Lord himself. And he would be seeking gain. He would be seeking the kingdom by violence and sinful means rather than allowing God's plan to come to fruition. Which means what? It would be totally wrong. Let me remind you this morning as you think about what God has in store for your life. And the promises that God has given to you in your life. Let me remind you that God, God doesn't want or need your help. God doesn't want. God doesn't even need your help. What God desires is for your and mine submissive obedience. More than anything else. Many people, many, many people in David's situation would find excuses for killing Saul. This is self-defense. I mean, he's a threat to me, right? He's got me backed into a corner. Find excuses. What? Well, the, the throne is mine anyway. I'm going to take it. So, so people do whatever is necessary that they think they should do in order to fulfill that promise, people even try to justify wrong actions or sinful actions. In Psalm chapter 16, it says that we are promised what? Fullness of joy. In John chapter 10, verse 10, it says that we are promised life more abundantly. And you and I have all heard people that say what? I cannot have fullness of joy. I cannot have abundant life being married to the person that I'm married to. So I found someone who is an answer to God's prayer. I finally found someone that I can have abundant joy with. And God's going to fulfill their promise. No. 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 It's always wrong. It has to be, it has to be God's plan, God's way over your plan and your way. Rick Pina writes this very accurately. Pursuing your purpose requires patience. Pursuing your purpose requires patience. David rightly feared the Lord. He feared the Lord more than he was frustrated with Saul. And we have before us the true story of how David felt conviction. He felt conviction because he almost what, forgot that he had received the promise of God's grace. Do you realize this morning, do, do you know that you too... Regardless of background, regardless of that long list in your mind of the horrible things that you've done, the horrible things that you've said, do you realize, do you know, you, you can be a recipient of God's grace. For by grace you are saved through faith. 
Not of your own doing, not of your own works. And I love this. It is a gift. God just lavishly, he gifts to us. You like gifts as much as I do. Do you know you can receive God's grace? Do you believe what? We have redemption through his blood. We have forgiveness of sin according to the riches. The Greek word there is plotos. It literally means what? Abundance or overflowing. Do you believe that you have forgiveness of your sin according to the overabundance of God's grace? Do you realize this morning that you were created and you were alive today? That your heart is beating and your lungs are able to, to breathe in air because of God's grace. You realize that you have been redeemed and rescued from your sins, that you've been transformed, that you are given the opportunity to read and to study and to serve God all because of his grace that you do not deserve, that I don't deserve. Do you sing about? Oh, yes, we do. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch, a wretch. I was blind, but now I see. Do you, do you celebrate? Do you celebrate our doctrine? Literally, Big Woods. Go to bigwoods.com and go to About Us and, and, and click on the little tab of what is it that we believe? That, that salvation is a gift of God's grace. It cannot be earned or deserved. Do you celebrate that? Do you wake up every single morning? Before your feet, what, slap on the floor? Thank you, Lord, for your grace that has been lavishly poured over me that I have not deserved. Just as David received grace, so have you. Secondly, we move on. Just as David extended grace, so must you. So must you. This morning we see David as a recipient of grace. He demonstrates for us really, really what it means, what it looks like to extend grace to those who are absolutely undeserving of it. Likewise, we too are to do exactly the same thing, to become extenders of his grace. Uh, said or spoken another way, since grace has come to you, then the Father expects you to allow his grace to flow through you. Since grace has come to you, it's to flow through you. Let's pick it up in verse 8. Let's, let's follow along to see what happens as far as what this grace extended looks like. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and he called after Saul. My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, what, why, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your home. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge 
May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. Down to verse 16, it says, As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. You have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king. And that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Grace undeserved extended. We hear that like, yeah, but, but Saul, but Saul was totally wrong here. Saul was evil here. Yes, true. That's all true. And so was the person who hurt you. So was the person who lied about you. So was the person who cheated you. So was the person that abused you. So was that person. But rather than what? Rather than seek justice ourselves. Rather than exact revenge ourselves. We are to remember at this moment what David did and what David said. And we can learn how to extend grace. How did he do it first? What? He actually does it by showing respect. He actually shows respect and he did not deserve it. Saul did not deserve any respect. It actually says that David bowed his face to the earth and he paid homage and pays respect. Why? Because David knows that just as he is created in the image of God, so is Saul. The person has hurt you, lied to you, cheated you, stole from you. That person is still created in the image of God. And we learn first and foremost to extend grace by what? Showing respect to others. Secondly, this is so important, by speaking truth, especially when that truth hurts. David literally what? Shouts across, Saul, why do you listen? Why do you listen to those words? Why, why, why are you believing people that say, I want to kill you? I don't want to kill you. I could have killed you. And we have to bring truth. We have to shine. We have to be truth tellers. We abide as children of light. We bring the truth out. And so we don't try to pretend that something bad did not happen. No, we, we speak truth into it. We call sin what it is. Part of the process of how we extend grace by showing respect to those who don't deserve it, by speaking truth, even when it's hard to speak the truth. Thirdly, finally, what? Extend grace, most importantly, by trusting God, because God alone is the one who will eventually bring justice. 
Listen to the words of David again. May the Lord avenge me. May the Lord avenge me. May, may, may my hand shall not be against you. What we have to hold on to today in closing is this. Remember this. Saul's offense against David is no worse than your offense against God. What, what, what Saul did to David is no worse than what you and I have done before a holy God. Therefore, like David, who writes in Psalm 51, what? We have to know that my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. And the more that you realize that God has forgiven you, then you are then able to forgive others. Remember this, forgiven people forgive people. Paul writes it like this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind. Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And so this morning, I would ask that you take the time to examine your own heart and to think hard who you are harboring anger, or bitterness, or jealousy against. Regardless of what that person has done to you, that we have a lesson before us, we are reminded of our own sinfulness in the presence of a holy God. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would give you the strength to what? Go to that person and say, I need to forgive you. And I would ask that you forgive me for harboring this thought towards you. May we be a church that moves forward for the work of the gospel in the community that God has called us to live in and minister in. By being open and honest and transparent. We're not negating, we're not neglecting the fact that pain has actually taken place. But we don't let that stay there. We trust in a just God. And we live our lives in openness, in the light of forgiveness. As we have received grace, undeserving, we are to extend that grace to others. Father, we love you and I thank you for this reminder in your word of, of David and how he, Lord, is an example. We know that you are Lord over everything. You are king. You are final authority. We know, Lord, that you're king over everything in our lives. Or if we choose to reject you, then, Lord, we're living in full-out rebellion and disobedience. Father, I would ask that we would extend grace to those who need to be extended grace to. That as we understand that you've forgiven us, we're to forgive others. We thank you for the work of Jesus that regardless of what we have done, that you loved us, you saw us, you chose us and appointed us to position as your own children, to be heirs. And we thank you for that. God, give us the strength to be obedient and faithful. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.